We're going to be reading a story today from the ninth chapter of John. And um, I tried to find a way to condense this down, but I couldn't really find a way to do it without really uh, leaving out some parts that I felt were really significant to the story. So if you'll indulge me. So the ninth chapter of John says, As he walked along, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of the one who sent me while it's day. Night's coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he'd said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, Well, it's him. And others were saying, No, but it's someone like him. But he kept saying, I'm the man. But they kept asking him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and I received my sight. And they said to him, well, where is he? And he said, I don't know. <laughs> so they brought to the Pharisees the man who'd been formerly blind and now it was the Sabbath day that Jesus had made the mud and opened his eyes. So then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he'd received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, then I washed, now I see. But some of the Pharisees said, This man's not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who's a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. That's how new churches get started. <laughs> so they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him? It was your eyes that he opened. And the blind man, the formerly blind man said, He's a prophet. Well, the Jews uh, didn't believe that he'd been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, Well, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how it is that now he sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's old enough. He'll speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, because the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue, put out of church. Therefore, his parents said, he's old enough, just ask him. So, for the second time, they called the man who'd been blind and they said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. In other words, they were saying, Acknowledge that God gave you your sight and not this man, Jesus. Because he's a sinner. So, the man said, I don't know whether he's a sinner or not, but one thing I do know is that I was blind. Now I see. And they said to him, what did he do to you? 
How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I've told you already, and you wouldn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Are you interested now in becoming his disciples? Well, then they got mad, and they reviled him, and they said, You are his disciple, but we are the disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know him or where he comes from. And the man answered, Here's an astonishing thing. You don't know where he came from, but yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but God does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. The Pharisees answered him and said, they were born entirely in sins, and you're trying to teach us. You were born entirely in sins, and you're trying to teach us. So they drove him out of the church. Well, Jesus heard that they'd driven him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and he said, Who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, You've seen him. The one speaking to you is he. So he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment so that those who don't see may see and those who do see may become blind. Well, some of the Pharisees nearby heard that and they said to Jesus, surely we're not blind, are we? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. This past Thursday morning started out pretty well. I was up extra early to get to Frankfurt for the governor's annual prayer breakfast. This was the 55th time that the governor of the Commonwealth has invited folks to come together for a time of prayer and, and spiritual reflection and inspiration. Even though it was early, I knew that it was going to be a really long day. I was feeling pretty good on the drive-in. Earlier in the week, a particularly bad piece of legislation, in my opinion, that would force schools to remove questionably objectionable books from their libraries had stalled, and it looked like it may actually be dead, and I was glad about that. Friends, I want to let you know that I agree that there are some materials and words and images that young eyes and minds should be protected from. But the best I can tell in this case, the people whose children would be protected weren't making those decisions. And they weren't making those judgment calls. Politicians were. And the government was. And that's a dangerous, dangerous path to take. Especially nowadays when it seems like the only acceptable content our state legislature feels is appropriate for our children to know downplays or even eliminates the sins of our nation's past. The genocide and the forced removals, the racism, the sexism, the bigotry, the homophobia, and the abuses that the ruling class was not only allowed to perpetrate on its victims, but was both legal and encouraged. The danger of erasing that history and those horrific deeds and pretending that they didn't happen and willfully neglecting to teach our children about it means that it could happen again. 
So I was breathing a little bit easier Thursday morning, knowing that that particular bill was not moving ahead. I was also feeling good Thursday morning because another bill that would ban drag performers or, or would label drag performers as adult entertainers and make them criminals for appearing in public had undergone a major rewrite overnight and it pretty much took all the teeth out of the bill and I was happy about that. But even watered down, it was still an unnecessary and vindictive piece of legislation intended to vilify the LGBTQ plus community. But at least it wasn't as drastic and as far reaching as it started out to be. I was glad. And then there was another bill that would forbid teachers from talking to their students about anything other than acceptable heterosexual behavior and prohibited schools from advising teachers on how to be sensitive with trans students who wish to be called by their preferred names and pronouns. That bill, too, had been shut down and not allowed to advance. And I was glad. There's been an incredible amount of legislation in Frankfurt this year targeting the LGBTQ plus community. Adding it all up, it amounts to government-endorsed perception that we are dirty and dangerous and should be ashamed of who we are. Apparently dirty enough and dangerous enough and shameful enough that the public needs to be protected from us. We've all seen the stories about other states passing those kinds of laws. Thursday morning, I was feeling good that our legislature wasn't following and wasn't allowing itself to follow in the footsteps of those other states that have happily tried to erase multicultural histories and experiences and put targets on the back of the LGBTQ community. At the governor's prayer breakfast, Rabbis and reverends and legislators, both progressive and conservative, and even a Supreme Court justice read scriptures and offered prayers. Governor Bashir told us how he relies on God's strength and guidance when he has to make some, some of those really incredibly tough decisions. The special speaker at the breakfast was Darnell Ferguson. Darnell shared his story about growing up in a community and in an environment that didn't encourage achievement or ambition. As a kid, he loved to cook. So a few years after high school, he decided to attend culinary school. He graduated, but he couldn't attain his focus. He spent months in and out of jail and living out. Then, mostly out of desperation, he ended up in a church one day. And he heard about hope. It changed his life. Today, he's known as Super Chef. And he hosts a show, the most popular show on the Food Network called Super Chef Grudge Match. I watched a little bit of it yesterday. It's really pretty cool. It's a lot of fun. I was feeling pretty good Thursday morning. And I was starting to feel relief knowing that the state legislature was about to wrap up its work and head home without passing all of that misguided and misinformed legislation. I sat at the governor's breakfast that morning feeling encouraged and inspired. I listened to Super Chef talk about growing up wanting to be someone. 
He talked about the people who inspired him and believed in him. And at one point, he referred to one of his mentors as a shepherd, which made me think about you and our church and this day and this sermon that I'd been meditating on and praying about. I always dreamed that I'd matter one day, Darnell said. And I thought, to the shepherd, you matter. He said, I always wanted to be someone. And I thought, to that shepherd, you are someone. He said, I always longed for a place where I could belong. And I thought to myself, to that shepherd, you did and you do belong. And then Darnell said, as an average black kid growing up in a typical black neighborhood, I always wondered if I'd ever be anything but average. If I'd just be a number that the government uses in their statistics. If I'd ever be worth anything. Have you ever wondered if you'd ever be worth anything? As difficult as it seems things are these days, imagine living in a time when any kind of infirmity or difference, any kind of condition that would limit your ability to contribute to society deemed you completely unworthy. That's a really big part of the story that we read just a few minutes ago from the book of John. This man who had been blind from birth had settled into knowing that he would never be anything more than a beggar, a drain on society. As a kid, he grew up with no expectation that he would ever be anything more. He had no reason now as a grown man to believe that tomorrow or a year from now would be any better than today or yesterday or a year ago. He'd been born into a category of people who were considered unuseful and unworthy and the resources that they required. And worse, most people believed that he deserved it. Either because of some deed or some sin that he'd done or maybe even some sinful thing that his parents had done. Jesus sets that record straight when he tells his followers that sin had no role in this man's destiny. But what a wonderful opportunity Jesus saw. What a wonderful opportunity to show the world the power of God and the power of... And in this story, we get to see because of that the very clear contrast between what's lovely and what's legal. What Jesus did for that blind man that day was against the law. I love that Jesus' heart was so present and his mission was so focused, it didn't even occur to him that it was the Sabbath. Or if it did occur to him, he didn't care. It didn't matter that the law says you don't do anything, even compassion, even good, even love, even healing, even restoration. The law says that you don't do anything on the Sabbath. This story reveals some really stark contrasts. On one side is a person whose sole mission is to reveal God through acts of healing and compassion. 
On the other, on the other side is a group of people whose purpose in life is making, enforcing, and protecting rules above everything else, even if it means must suffer. The contrasts in this story are this. To Jesus, the blind man and his needs are more important than anything else. To the lawmakers, the Pharisees, the law is most important. How many times had these religious people walked past this blind beggar just sure that he was living the life that he deserved? And then Jesus comes along and he notices something that they never did. He sees someone who's been a victim, a victim of the law, let down by the law, discriminated against by the law, persecuted in the name of the law. He sees someone who deserves more than the law ever offered or would allow. It's telling in this story that the Pharisees who felt threatened by Jesus immediately tried to discredit him and paint him as a sinner. It's a tactic that's still used today. Still used today when a powerful person is suddenly faced with their bad decisions. They try to convince everyone that the accuser is the bad person. They can't be trusted that they're a liar. That's exactly what the Pharisees were trying to do when people started asking if this healer was really from God. He can't be from God, the Pharisees said. He broke the law when he did this deed on the Sabbath. That makes him a sinner, and God does not use sinners. While Jesus is focused on doing good, they're consumed with destroying the notion that anyone can do anything, even a good thing, on the Sabbath. You can't break the law and do good, they reasoned. The law cannot, the lawbreaker, the law says that he cannot be a healer if he breaks the law. Those damn laws. As the day went along this past Thursday, things got pretty bad for us. All those bills that had sort of lost momentum in the state legislature suddenly reappeared. Literally, without notice, nowhere, they reemerged. A very small group of lawmakers had huddled and conspired a way to resurrect them and force them through to passage. We were stunned and devastated as we watched legislators one by one cast their votes on bills that intentionally targeted the LGBTQ community, but especially targeted those who were trans. Even after hearing over and over and over and over and over again the great harm that these bills would do, they still cast their votes. As I watched it all from my place in the Capitol, I thought about many of you. And I worried about how you were holding up. I saw on social media that Enid was struggling really hard. So I reached out to let her know that I was thinking about her. And then I asked her if she'd be willing to comfort us with those words from the 23rd Psalm this morning. How beautiful that was. And I love you, my sweet friend. I wanted her to read them because they remind us 
that to the shepherd we matter. To the shepherd we are someone. And to the shepherd we belong. As Marsha McPhee, who designed this wonderful worship, says, Psalm 23 gives us an image of God that would have been far more striking to those who lived thousands of years ago than it is to us today. Shepherds were far from being considered respectable or trustworthy in their communities. They were given a job that no one else would have wanted. Yet, in Psalm 23, it's the Lord who's our shepherd who leads us to the sweet grasses and whose rod comforts us. The Lord is a shepherd who dares anoint our heads with oil and act reserved for prophets and kingmakers. So, to all of us who are feeling targeted and accused by the people who we hoped would protect us or at least respect us, to my friends who were trans, who were feeling especially beaten down, I want you to know that you have a shepherd who sees you as, as much more righteous and holy and lovely and wonderful than misguided elected officials ever could. And that's because the shepherd sees you through eyes that they can't. Or won't. Just like that day when he said, when Jesus said, to hell with your Sabbath laws. My love is going to do its thing. Your shepherd is not concerned with what the Pharisees think. Your shepherd does and dares to anoint your head with oil and call you a beloved child of God. You might be interested in knowing, as a matter of fact, that in the very next chapter after this story that we talked about today, we read more about this compassionate, homeless rabbi named Jesus who lives his life so that others are safe and fed and loved. And in that chapter, he refers to himself as the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd, because when that's what we're in need of, that's what He is to us. And when we need more, to all of us who are feeling beat up and scared, I hope that we can feel, even in the midst of the oppression, the assurance and the comfort that comes with knowing that we are seen and heard and valued and wanted and affirmed and respected and loved by that intentional, radical, revolutionary, law-breaking shepherd. You belong to Him. Thanks for joining us. Find out more about what we're doing at KennyBishop.com.